Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon, it's Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Will East, one last day in the chair for Michael Borky. He will rejoin us tomorrow afternoon. Thank you for being along. If you miss any of the show, you can always go back and get it via podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, streaming online, or excuse me, streaming on demand at uh, supertalk.fm. We are glad to have you along. This is Signing Day 2.0. I say this somewhat in jest, but I did make a note earlier that said uh, National Signing Day in February kind of falls into the if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? And it's kind of like that all over the country for the second consecutive year, or I guess this is the this, this is the third year that we've had yeah. The early signing period? Is that right? Yes. Correct. Third year with the early signing period, and for each of the last two years, somewhere between 75 and 80% of the people that signed, or the players that signed national letters of intent do so in December. So, just in terms of numbers, you're dealing with much smaller numbers today, and that's just kind of the case. Doesn't mean that there aren't still some surprises. Doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities to upgrade the uh, signing class that you've already got. And uh, that's what has happened today all across the country. Got a bunch to get to this afternoon. We will uh, talk some about National Signing Day. We'll talk about Mississippi State's game last night on the road against Kentucky. Uh, Bulldogs were able to stay within striking distance really for the entire game, but never could quite get over the hump at Rupp. And uh, Kentucky gets the win by 8 last night. Ole Miss has a home game tonight, tips off at 6 o'clock against South Carolina. Rebels looking for a win in SEC play against the South Carolina team that is uh, playing better and better as of late. Sat down with Mike Bianco earlier today and had a uh, a really kind of far-reaching interview with him. We touched on a lot of different things, uh, spent about half an hour with him, got that interview broken up into three different parts. You'll hear part of it in this first hour of the show, uh, part of it in hour number two, the 4 o'clock hour, and then the conclusion of that interview in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Let's not necessarily bury the lead. We'll dive deeper into the news from National Signing Day for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But, hey, Dad, uh, you just left Mike Leach's press conference not too terribly long ago. This was not a day that had a ton of surprises for Mississippi State. Didn't have a ton of names, period. What'd you learn? A couple of things. Um First off, uh, I learned that his favorite restaurant in the state of Mississippi during his travels was Toronto's down on the coast. We'll give okay. him that. A lot, a lot of seafood happening there. I, I learned get- that as he, he left some, some scholarships open because they expect to be players in the transfer portal uh, this, uh, this offseason. Uh, specifically, he mentioned, obviously, he'd like to find some dynamic athletes. That's a quote 
which I, I think goes without saying. And I, I think that's his way of saying receiver without saying receiver. But the yeah. two positions he mentioned were inside linebacker and offensive line. That that's where they'll be looking to see if they can improve a little bit there. Um, obviously excited about having KJ Costello came coming in. Had that relationship, you know, going back to high school. He was familiar with KJ. So uh, some players who played for Leach at Washington State played at the same high school as KJ Costello. Uh, very excited about him coming in and what he'll bring. And you know, excited to add Rufus Harvey. Said that you know. That, that's something that's sort of been a long time coming. If, if you live here in Starkville, as I do, you know that, that that has been a huge story this 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 the past few months. It was Rufus Harvey going to end up at Mississippi State. You had A.J. Brown lobbying for it on Twitter. A.J. kept his promise today, and I don't know if you saw that, sent out a Hail State tweet because he was hmm. very excited for, uh, for Rufus getting that offering and getting uh, his signature with Mississippi State. So, like I said, not a lot of drama, not was a lot Rufus of surprises. Hart, was he committed, or was this something where – he was waiting all the way until the end to he make was a committed to He had committed to Arkansas State a few weeks ago. Uh, right. He he got an a offer last or the the last weekend before you could bring player that you could bring players in. And from what I was told, he made it pretty clear to Mississippi State staff, uh, "I'll come with an offer. I'm not just going to show up." And so smart of him to do so. He got the offer he wanted, and then this morning made his decision to flip uh, to Mississippi State. I mean, this is a guy who. Yeah, he has some of AJ Brown's records. He's not the same kind of player. I don't, I don't know that he's a, he's certainly not as 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 polished. And you know, I wouldn't say that he's a, a guaranteed future pro like I thought AJ was when I saw him in high school. But he's a very productive receiver. And at this point in the game, Mississippi State just needs productive receivers. So I I think Rufus Harvey can be one for Mississippi State. Rippy, you were at uh, Lane Kiffin's press conference just a little while ago. Ole Miss certainly sitting at uh, mid to upper thirties in terms of class ranking nationally. What did you uh, What did you learn with uh, what Lane Kiffin had to say? He didn't really mince words in the sense that you know, he said he likes the kids that they have, but he knows it's not a very deep class. That so he didn't want to reach on kids, and then made I think he mentioned a couple of times that they'll sign better and deeper classes every year after this, that they're here. I mean, they did miss on a handful of kids today. I think three come to the, come to the forefront of the mind immediately. They only got they got four kids, three officially, a fourth I think will be official, a receiver out of Shreveport, Louisiana, Detravian Brown. There was uh, some uncertainty as to whether that was official yet or not, but he also learned where Swayze Field was yesterday for the first time, so... What was he going to uh, see a couple of his players on the other side of campus? They said he saw Jerry Neely walking on campus by himself, offered to give him a ride, and said he was going to the baseball stadium, and Kiffin kept taking the wrong turn, and that is when it was discovered he had no idea where the stadium was. It's really not far from his office. No, I mean, I was trying to think of how many turns you could possibly even take. I I came up with three, I think, unless he kept doing the Ford Center parking lot deal. I don't really know what was going on, but (laughs) said it was a nice stadium, said he liked it. There you go. Maybe we'll take in uh, some baseball in the fall. We'll give you the names of the three official commitments that Ole Miss has, the four for Mississippi State coming up. Uh, the one name that a lot of people nationally are still looking at uh, out there is Zachary Evans. We haven't talked a whole lot about him. We'll get into uh, a little bit of the twists and turns of that recruiting saga uh, coming up. And, hey, Dad, I'm going to lean on you later. I'm going to lean on your massive memory bank. And uh, we will try to somewhere recount. else, but okay. No, I wasn't going anywhere else. You don't have to be self-deprecating all the time. That's true. <laughs> um, we'll go back in the memory bank and see if we can uh, 
recount some of the more fascinating recruiting stories that, uh, that come okay. to mind from fun. recent years. Whether what, whether they're in the state of Mississippi or out, there have been a few humdingers in the state of Mississippi over the course of the last few years. So all of that's coming up this afternoon. I do want to pause the um, the sports conversation for a uh, for a couple of minutes as we begin this uh, this Wednesday afternoon and talk to you on a, a more serious note. Um, on Friday, you may remember us talking about, or you may have heard it on uh, on the JT show, the announcement that uh, our friend, our colleague, a guy that to many of you only through the relationship that you have with him, with your radio speakers, feels like family. Uh, JT announced on Friday that he had been recently uh, recently diagnosed with lymphoma and was preparing to um, begin his battle with cancer to uh, start the treatment process. Uh, he had a, um, a visit scheduled on Monday to kind of get everything in line, and his treatments were scheduled to begin uh, shortly. On Monday, while preparing to begin treatment for this lymphoma, this cancer battle that he's dealing with, JT experienced some unexpected complications. And currently, he is hospitalized in Jackson. He is intensive care. Excuse me, he's in intensive care. And through his family, JT has requested, or his family has requested, um that all of us stop and pray for him in a really difficult time. Uh, JT's got a big fight on his hands and we want to be there with him. Uh, as I mentioned a second ago to uh, to many of you, uh, you know JT has done somewhere in the neighborhood of seven million remotes all over the state of Mississippi. From cruising the coast on the Gulf Coast to Carter's Jewelers over and over and over in Jackson um, to remotes in Corinth and throughout North Mississippi. And there's a really good chance if you listen to the JT show somewhere along the way, you've stopped by, you've said hello. I don't know, maybe you've even gotten him to, uh, gotten him to autograph something for you. Um, but JT, who has one of the most unique delivery styles on the radio, uh, of probably any radio show in the entire United States has developed a relationship with many, many of you. And he feels like a brother or a friend or a crazy uncle or maybe the guy that drives you crazy, but you just can't quit listening to him. JT needs you right now. He needs all of us. Um, I would encourage you to say a prayer for JT's health that you would pray for his doctors, his nurses, his caregivers, that you would pray for his wife and his two children as they deal with this very difficult time. And if you would like to send a note of encouragement, you can send that to our Super Talk station. Send it to Super Talk Mississippi, care of JT. The address is 6311 Ridgewood Road, Suite 200 in Jackson. 39211. We'll tweet that address out as well. Let me just drop a note in the mail and let JT know that you're thinking of him. We'll take a quick time out. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Are you ready? On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and always on your local Super Talk Mississippi station.
back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. I think I got a little long-winded, and maybe the address was cut off at the end. It was encouraging. If uh, you would like to, you can send a card of encouragement to JT and his family. That address, again, and it's available on both the uh, Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S and the Super Talk Twitter feed. That's just at Super Talk. If you want to send a card of encouragement to JT, you can send it to Super Talk Mississippi, care of JT. 6311 Ridgewood Road, Suite 200 N, and that's in Jackson. Zip code is 39211. Uh, Will, you can also check the uh, Supertalk Facebook page to get that information. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay. So uh, we're all going to be praying for JT, for his family. If uh, you're not the praying type, if you would just take a quiet moment to uh, to think about them and offer up some well wishes i know their family would uh, would certainly be appreciative of that thanks for being with us this afternoon the ceasefire text line is open that number is 601-879-4395 again 601-879-4395 love to hear from you on the ceasefire text line at Ceasefire, they remind you that Mississippi's future cannot wait. Join Ceasefire in the fight to bring computer science education to every school in Mississippi. Text FUTURE to 50457 or visit OurMSFuture.com. The time is now, Mississippi. Ceasefire, customer inspired. All right, hey, Deb, we talked generally a few minutes ago. Uh, about Mississippi State's recruiting class. Let's drill down. This is not one of those days where we've got to go through 20 names uh, or 25 names or whatever the number is. So four players today for Mississippi State that signed national letters of intent. Who are they and what do we need to know about them? Yeah, four players. Three of them were committed as of this morning. Rufus Harvey is the only one that was not on board, and everybody expected that to happen. So unlike my counterpart over there, I I haven't had to do very much today. I wrote for about 20 minutes, and that was it. Jamari Stewart is the first one, uh, outside linebacker out of uh, Sport St. Lucie, Florida. Was coached by Jamar Chaney uh, when he was in high school, in high school coaching. Who's he's now at Florida uh, with Dan Mullen. Um, big kid, six foot three, two hundred and five pounds. So they obviously they, they project that he's got the kind of frame that you can put some weight on, and he'll probably turn into a defensive end. Uh, they felt that that was a position of need when they look at the roster. You know, obviously not for this year, but going down the road. Uh, JUCO defensive back Kyle Cass out of Mississippi Delta Community College, a big six foot two DB. Not sure if he'll play corner or safety, but again, state's defensive depth chart it, it's it's sort of top heavy. And there's there's some talented guys there, but there's also a lot of youth, especially in the secondary where you're, you know you've got a couple of sophomores who will probably be starting at corner and safety. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean you've got three sophomores who are likely to start next year, so they needed an experienced hand back there. Hopefully, Cass can give them that. Uh, Rufus Harvey, we've, we've just already spoken about him a little bit, uh, wide receiver out of Starkville, Mississippi, and a guy that I got to see play a couple of times, and he just makes plays. You would never guess watching him, and, and Leach commented on this. He said he's, he jumps off on the film. He plays a lot bigger than he, than he than he looks. He's only five foot ten, but he plays like a six foot two, six foot three receiver. He can out battle guys for ball. Not, I mean, he's just not especially fast. He's not especially big, but he catches the ball when it's thrown to him, and. Honestly, after two years of watching Stephen Gidry drop everything that was thrown to him, I think Mississippi State fans will settle for a guy who just catches the ball. And Rufus Harvey does that with regularity. And then obviously the, the prize is K.J. Costello, the grad transfer out of Stanford, who you know obviously won't be here until uh, the summer. But I will you know put almost everything I own on him starting and being Mississippi State starter next year. Uh, threw for over 6,000 yards, 49 touchdowns at Stanford. 
went to back-to-back uh, bowl games as a starter, as a redshirt sophomore and uh, junior. Uh, went to uh, you know had back-to-back nine win seasons there for the Cardinal. Good prospect, you know. Talking to I talked to uh, Antonio Morales, who used to cover Ole Miss and now he covers the USC for the Athletic. He covered mm-hmm. KJ in high school when he was with the OC Register. He said he just he looks like an NFL quarterback. He's got the look. He's got the big arm. And in in Mike Leach system, obviously they feel like he can thrive there. So just those four guys. But you, when you add that to what you already had, you you got the makings of depending on where you look of a top you know twenty five to thirty class, which is basically where Mississippi State stays. In a year where you know there's not going to be a lot of in-state talent, you know, and and I, what, I think what, four, maybe four or five four-star kids in the class this year, as opposed to last year when you had so many. Uh, so a solid class for state. They got ten guys already on campus as early enrollees, and you know that, that's about it. It was like I said, just not a ton of drama for me uh, here on uh, on signing day. Of the guys that came in today, do you anticipate them being? Some of them being immediate playing time guys. I, I know there is the the search for that. I mean, yeah, uh, especially at the receiver position, as we've talked about. I, I would say that three or four of them should be guys. Uh, Stewart, I don't think will be. You know, I mean, you're talking about a guy who they, they want to project as a defensive end, but he's only 205 pounds. You, you're going to have to let that kid get some weight on. I mean, as a JUCO DB, yeah, Kyle Cass will have some opportunities to play pretty early. State's going to need some help back there in the secondary. I have to imagine that wide receiver is the most open position. They've got to find six or seven guys there, and I mean, they just don't have them. So Rufus Harvey's going to have every opportunity to get in there and, and make an immediate impact. And then with Costello, of course, I expect him to be the starter from day one uh, when he arrives on campus. In terms of size, is Rufus uh, Rufus Harvey ready to go now? Well, I think he's listed at five ten and one seventy five or something like that. I mean, as a so, slot so receiver. no, but we'll see. Well, but at the same time, as a slot receiver, I mean, what are we talking about? He that I don't think I don't think size is a huge issue there. I mean, you know, you don't have to be six foot three and two hundred pounds. They're not asking him to be Randy Moss in there or anything like that. I mean, you look at uh, at Leach's career; he's made. A lot of guys just that big, not only you know good players but great players. I mean, how big is Wes Welker? So, yeah, I think Harvey. I mean, he'll have to put some weight on. That's that's just natural when you come to college. But I, I think from a talent standpoint and a production standpoint, state state's going to need receivers. They they just need them. There's there's no other way to get around that. They're going to throw the ball so much that guys are going to have opportunities. And there's nothing that I saw last year from Osiris Mitchell or. Javante Payton or Austin Williams, it makes me want to take out a Sharpie and say, yep, those guys are for sure going to be starters. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Rippy, what about on the uh, the Ole Miss front today? Um, so at this point, three official commitments for Ole Miss, and you think there's a potential fourth that's coming down the line? Yes, that is correct. So they ended up with three, and you can catch all of that. We have a running thread at supertalk.fm, but you end up with Luke Schaus. You end up with, I'm making sure I have all three of these correct. Cedric Milton. And Henry Paris, the running back out of Miami. They missed on a couple kids. Donovan Kaufman went to Vanderbilt. Had been committed to Vanderbilt. There was a late push by Ole Miss, a late push by Florida State also. Yeah, and kind of a similar deal with Malachi Weidman, the two-sport kid who was going to play basketball here if he came here. Uh, I believe it was a Florida State commit, but ended up kind of basically deciding between Ole Miss and Tennessee and ended up electing to go to Tennessee. So, I mean, they did, they missed on a couple of kids that they were targeting. Uh, they lost a commit in Darren Branch to Georgia, 
uh, the Louisiana de- uh, defensive back, but ends up with three, possibly four. Still a couple of possibilities out there. You've got the whole Zach Evans saga going on. But, I mean, Kiffin didn't, like as I mentioned a minute ago, didn't really mince words. He said you know, they didn't want to reach on kids, says he likes the kids they have, but then kind of quickly transitioned to that and saying or almost declaring that they would sign deeper and better classes in the years to come. So just kind of is, is always going to be a bit of an uphill battle for them, particularly because they didn't, uh, you know, they kind of hit the ground running. I don't know how many days officially he took the job before the early signing period gets 12 kids. And then I don't, from what I understand, I don't think they were in a huge rush to kind of fill this class out. They were okay with it not being completely full. But at the same time, I, I mean, I would be probably being untruthful if, you know, I said that they kind of met every need or met every goal they had going in today. I think that was far from the case. So between the early signing period um, from December and today, there were three mid-year enrollees. You had the tight end from Temple, uh, Kenny Yeboah, uh, Otis Reese, the defensive back that's a transfer from Georgia, and... Lane Kiffin said today that he was going to seek immediate eligibility, was going to go through the transfer waiver process a year ago where they were handing those out like uh, Oprah hands out gifts to her studio audience. You wouldn't think that would be a big deal. The NCAA says they are going to clamp down on that. Also, DeMond Clowney uh, was mid-year as well. He is on campus already, the defensive end from Baltimore. And then the three today, Cedric Melton, a 6'5", 270-pound offensive lineman from Houston. Former Arizona commit under someone. Henry Parrish from South Florida, uh, Columbus High School running back that was originally committed to FAU. And then Luke Schaus, an offensive lineman from Brentwood, Tennessee, 6'6", 270. Did he allude to any of these guys as to whether or not he thought they would be immediate impact type players? Didn't really get into specifics. Out of the guys today, I would probably doubt it. I would maybe the most likely perish at the running back room just because it seems a little easier. I mean, it's it's all it's next to impossible to, for you know offensive linemen to come in and contribute to him unless it's a Laramie Tunsil type, you know, Greg Little, something like that. So uh, no, probably not from today, but you know, like I said, still a couple of possibilities out there. Uh, they did add Brady Ward, a kid from Mobile, but probably going to be a gray shirt. Coming up next, we will hear from Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss, as they're now just 10, 9 days away from opening day of the 2020 baseball season. Back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sounds good. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Wednesday afternoon. Nobody on the Farm Bureau phone line today. Do encourage you to check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. But we do have a three-part interview, part one coming up right now with Ole Miss head baseball coach Mike Bianco, who talked about a wide range of topics earlier today. Mike Bianco joins us now as we get close to the start of another college baseball season. You always tell me I ask you softballs out of the gate, so I'm going to try and be at least more interesting out of the gate. How long does it take for you to get over a year and transition to the next year? So season ends in wow. June inevitably, and then you get into summer and guys scatter all over the place. But for you individually, when do you let go 
of one season and turn the page to the next. Now that's that's not a softball. That that's a that's a golf ball. Okay. Uh, that's that's uh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know, and I don't I don't know if I've ever looked at it that way. But probably my answer would be, you know, um, it probably happens over time. Um, you know, I, I said this a, a few weeks ago, speaking at an at an event, and uh, the one thing that um, I'm very poor at, uh, and, and admittedly so, is as soon as it's over. For example, that that Sunday in Arkansas, where we lose uh, Game Three of a Super Regional, uh, you shake the opponent's uh, coach's hands, and then you have to walk out, you know, about 200 feet out into short right field. And you have to address a team, and um, you don't have the words at that time. And as you're walking up, and you see these young men, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, uh, in tears. And why? Because you know their season just ended. They didn't expect it. Um, you know, some of them will never play baseball again, and, uh, and and some of them will never. You know, they may play baseball again, but they'll never play here. So when you look into the eyes of Greg Kessinger and Thomas Dillard and Cole Zabowski and Cooper Johnson and Will Etheridge and and those guys, it's tough. And and the reason it's so tough, you know, beyond the emotion, is you weren't expecting it to end that day. You know, and uh, you know when you sit back and look at it now, and and people realize that. Usually there's only one team that wins their final game. Everybody else loses, you know, their final game. And so it's, it's a tough one. And I think, you know, so it's a process. I think, uh, immediately after and you, you know, you get back to Oxford, you got to meet with the team and try to, uh, have those meetings, goodbye meetings for some, some talk about the next year. Uh, but through those meetings, I think it's healthy for me because I, I, we, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, where we're going to be next year, what we need from leadership roles for Servideo and Keenan and those types of guys, Elko and Holston. Um, but, uh, I think over time you start to, the pain starts to go away, you know, and, uh, it's always tough. You know, last, the last couple of years have been, you know, I think, uh, you know, maybe two of the toughest, uh, but, uh, but I think it's, it's a process that, you know, takes you through the summer. In those postseason meetings, exit interviews, however you want to describe them, do you ever, as you go through those, do you feel like you learn anything about yourself as a coach? Through, through the feedback that sure I, I think and I don't know if it's specifically or individually me as a coach but but you start to to become more aware of the guys individually and and uh, things that that uh, uh, either your expectations for the next year or you know uh, what happened you know the, this this current year um, I think yeah they're very educational and uh, I think it, it, sometimes we think it's just you know hey you know, kind of the walking order. Say, go play summer ball, work on this, uh, go to summer school, gain you know ten pounds in a weight room, and it's some of that for sure. Uh, but also, it's you know, you you watch guys mature. You watch Anthony Servideo at the end of his freshman year, and then his end of, uh, the end of his sophomore year, and he's growing. You know, the kids are. Uh, that's one one of the things that you know people talk about being at one place for a long time and and so on. Yeah, you know, you know, but things change players change you know and they change every single year and i think that's what's one of the neat things about this job so you so you mentioned being at one place at a long time you've won a ton of games here winning as coach and at Ole Miss and one of the winningest coaches in sec history at this point in your career and, and i guess i'd be curious to know if it's changed in, in your mind at all how do you measure success for uh, 
your program? I think on a lot of different levels, you know, to, I, I think it's a cop out to say, hey, it's it's just about graduating kids and, you know, running a clean program and watching those kids grow up and mature. That's great. And 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 I think that's got to be at the forefront. But you also you got to win. And uh, uh, so I think it's on again, it's on a lot of different levels. I, I, I certainly think that, you know, you, you and each year is a little different. You know, and uh, there's years where maybe we didn't win as many games, but I thought, you know, uh, myself or our staff, we did a really good job. And there's times where uh, maybe maybe we didn't do as good a job. And uh, and I, I think each each year we kind of evaluate that. And so I don't think it's just you know wins or losses. I think it's a culmination of a lot of things. You know, and and certainly uh, there's times where you know we thought we could have done a better job. We we should have done a better job. I should have done a better job. And then there's times where you know I think that um, you know we've we did a really good job. And uh, um, you know I, I think we've done probably. You know, some better jobs you know, than than worse jobs over you know, the last 20 years. That's why we're still here. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously. So there's some that would say in a converse, conversation with you, the word Omaha might be like an elephant in the room because mm-hmm. we all know it's one trip. And you sure. know, But I'm not sure that that's accurate when you look around your facility and T-shirts. You guys talk about Omaha all the time. I mean, that's sure. the ultimate goal in college baseball. Is there a scenario where there's too much attention focused just on being one of the final eight teams versus being a super regional team on a regular basis or do you look at it that way you know it's uh, omaha period no i think we talk about it all the time we as a, as a program i don't think you can be scared of it you can't be scared of uh if you want to call it the elephant in the room i mean that's uh if you're part of the southeastern conference one of the goals should be to win the, the conference championship uh, that doesn't mean if you don't win it you're not a good program you know we, we see that every single year uh if you play nca division one baseball the ultimate goal is to win a national championship to get to, to omaha uh uh, I would think for for a football program, maybe it's to to be in the you know the the, the playoff, you know the the, the final four in basketball. Um, you got to have a goal. You got to have a you know, and I and I think you know ours is a is a legitimate goal. Uh, yeah, we've been there, you know, you know, one time in in, in nineteen years. Um, that's been pointed out, you know, a few times. I, I, I get that, <laughs> um, but it's not easy. And you know, one of the things, and this is not to, to get into a big debate, is, but we've been highly successful. We haven't been the program that's been up and down. We haven't been the program that uh, you're not sure what you're going to get. Uh, you know, we've we've hosted, I think, nine regionals in 19 years, uh, which really means that you're in the top 16 at the end of the year. You know, we've played in you know six super regionals. Uh, uh, there's teams that have been to Omaha more than us, but maybe over the 20 years, you know, haven't been as successful through the regular season. Highs and lows. Yeah, and um, and that's not to sugarcoat anything. I mean, uh, yeah, I think you know, if you if, if I was to be honest, yeah, you know, w- would you want to get to Omaha more? Do you think you could have gotten to Omaha more? Should you have gotten to Omaha more? Probably, sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we've put ourselves in position to, to, to get to Omaha. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, there's been years like last year where, 
It just didn't happen. It wasn't that we weren't good enough. It wasn't that we weren't capable enough. We just lost the game. If we would have won that game, we would have gotten to Omaha, and that could be disappointing. And uh, I don't think there's anybody more disappointing than uh, myself, the coaches, and, of course, the, the players on the field. You've got a bear of a schedule this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the exact number. It's 28 or 29 games against teams that are in the preseason top 25, a whole bunch of opponents that made it to the postseason, a bunch of teams that actually played in the College World Series a year ago. And it's almost like that's just an SEC play. Mm-hmm. You also open with Louisville and you go play in this tournament at, at East Carolina. Who the heck made your schedule? <laughs> I, I say that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I have a, a hand in that, so I'll have to admit. And you know, I laughed yesterday. Uh, you know, I could get mad at the guy that makes a schedule, but I actually have to sign off on all of it. So, you know, part of it's my fault. But um, there's part of that that's really, really cool. No doubt, no doubt, and it's going to be certainly so. There, when 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 I look at the schedule, especially to open up with the number one team in the country, and knowing that we have so many new faces on the field, yes, obviously it's a big challenge. Um, but. Here's the thing, and it, and it sounds like coach speak, but it, it, it really isn't. Uh, and I asked the players, and even warned them, knew that that would be a question that every media member would ask at some point in the first, you know, uh, upcoming weeks of the, of the season. So I have slidden back into cliche questions. Yes, you have. Range. Uh, but, 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 but it's a question I think everybody has to ask, but, but the, the, the real answer is, did they expect any less? Like I asked the players, did they expect to not play LSU or Florida or Vanderbilt or Georgia? Uh, you know, maybe probably the only schools that they didn't, you know, you know, weren't sure that we would play would be Louisville or East Carolina. Beyond that, everybody on our schedule that's ranked and went to Omaha or they all expected to play. They all came here for that. So, you know, to them, it's it's the schedule. You know, and yes, you know, statistically, when it's all said and done, I think it'll be one of the best schedules in the country, if not, uh, if not the best. But that's what they expected, and and I think that's what you expect when you come here, you know, to to, to play the best. And so, uh, even though it'll be a huge challenge uh, to open up, you know, with Louisville, the number one ranked team in the country, I think our guys are super excited versus playing some school that they never heard of, you know, to open up the the. the Junction in the Grove and to the top. Don't yourself. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Mike Bianco. Joined me earlier today for a uh, a sit-down interview, about half an hour. That was part one of that interview. We'll play part of it in the 4 o'clock hour and the final section of that interview coming up a little bit later this afternoon in the 5 o'clock hour. Hey, Dad, I know you were excited last night to uh, sit back and watch the uh, the big news for Major League Baseball, weren't you? Yay. I'm excited to know that my summer is just going to be very, very stress-free. I can just, you know, not not really have to worry about much of anything. As a uh, a fan of the other team or one of the other two teams, um, hold on, let me say that differently. As for for us, an op- opposition fan of the Red Sox, 
Oh. I was glad to see Mookie Betts go away. Well, I'm Thanks. glad you were happy, Richard. That's all yeah. that matters. Boston Red Sox and the Dodgers with the Minnesota Twins in the mix as well have agreed to a blockbuster deal sending former MVP Mookie Betts and left-hander David Price to the Dodgers for a package that includes outfielder Alex Verdugo. Trade include, uh, also includes Minnesota with the Dodgers sending starter Kenta Maeda to Minnesota, which will in turn send a hard-throwing pitching prospect, Bruzdar Grotterell, or Grotterall to Boston. Deal is pending medical reviews at uh, this point. Uh, there is discussion that Mookie Betts, when he becomes an unrestricted free agent after this coming season, will command a contract that is in the $400 million range. And so Boston decided to deal him now and see what they could get for him in return. Uh, Rippy, whether you are or not, we've coined you our kind of resident MLB guy. What does this trade mean? Does it mean anything? Short-term, long-term, et cetera? I mean, I think it puts the Dodgers and the Yankees on a collision course for the World Series. I think that's probably the matchup that everyone wants to see. I guess in the short, I mean, the, I think the Dodgers now have the scariest lineup in baseball. I'm not sure. I would probably take them over New York just slightly. It also means... Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, Mac, uh, Max Muncy, top press prospect Gavin Lux, and now Mookie Betts. Yeah, the kind of thing that got overshadowed here or hidden by all of this was that they did send Jock Peterson to the Angels who have him and Anthony Rendon now among others which is kind of interesting. Some but yeah, Trout guy also. It also, it also, yeah, some guy named Trout, but it also means that I believe four of the five guys in their rotation will now be left-handers, a couple of them on the back end of their career and then like the young budding ace in the middle of all that, which will be kind of interesting to watch, but they're again the favorite in the National League and if you're trying to get over the hump, uh, I guess you know they should make sure their opponent is not banging trash cans in October, and Mookie Betts probably helps them do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, um, I think nobody can be more excited about this trade than Clayton Kershaw because now David Price can be the one who chokes in the postseason for them. Yeah, yeah. So the the Yankees' angle on that was well, if you were to get to the World Series, that means you're going to see at least once and maybe twice David Price. So Imagine Game Six and Seven is Price and Kershaw. Just just tap out. Don't show up. I'm I would in. just beg. If I were Kershaw, I'd just beg the manager not to put him in terrible positions that he's never been in his career when your season's on the line. Like, hey, don't, don't I don't really need him. to be the closer today. Yeah, don't, I, I don't, t- don't take up for that guy. He's a terrible human being. I believe I've been Clayton told. Kershaw. Yeah, just the worst. Chase, you're the worst fan. Pretty sure he's uh, literally like Tebow without all the cameras. <laughs> oh, my God. Literally he's builds wells for kids in Africa. He's you that just bad? Pick on price. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are we entering a season where there are only four or five teams that legitimately have a chance to get to the World Series? No. The, I mean, you saw it last year with the Nationals, but the Braves are really good. I think the Rays will be pretty good again. Honestly, the team, that uh, not like a homer thing, but the team that's really made the most noise in the National League outside of this last night, if you'd ask who was the most active team in the winter, it was the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, you had Nick Castellanos, you had, you know, I, they're still kind of flirting with Francisco Lindor, but on top of everything else, I, I mean, you know, they had Mike Moustakas, 
I mean, Vegas is projecting them and St. Louis as the two favorites in the National League. I don't think they're at that level. I'm just saying there are other good teams out there, but I think it's just like last year where the Dodgers are the favorites and they just got even better. So the Dodgers are good on the West Coast. Looks like the Angels are going to be better on the West Coast. You say that, but they spend every offseason and they end up 50-52 and 52 at the 100-something game mark. Yeah, but eventually it's got to turn, right? I mean, at some point, the fortunes for Mike Trout have got to be better than they have been. Sure. That would help if they have guys that could get people out on the mound. Yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable point. What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. the week with you Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey still out. He'll be back with us tomorrow. Hey, Dad. Brian, hey, Dad, that is. Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us. C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Um... Hey, Dad, what is this? Hey, Dad won the questioning battle amongst the reporters at Leach's Presser. Good job, Hey, Dad. Thank you. I, I had a couple questions for him. You can see that video at Supertalk. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, at Supertalk.fm or on Supertalk uh, or on Sports Talk Mississippi's uh, Facebook page. There you go. There you go. Sports Talk Mississippi this afternoon. Thanks for uh, thanks for being with us. Let's talk some hoops. Last night, Mississippi State in Lexington taking on Kentucky. General thoughts first. The the, the final two minutes, I was in full Al Michaels mode because I knew the line was seven. It was our sports our pick of the day yesterday, Golden Moon pick of the day, and uh, I, I was just convinced Tyson Carter was going to hit a three at the buzzer to, to cover that. But anyway. Hmm. Uh, it, it just another game where State falls behind early, plays better in the second half, but didn't play well enough. That was a really good second half of basketball, by the way, 49-49. I mean, both teams were, were, were doing quite a bit. Um, Reggie Perry was obviously very frustrated early. Uh, you could tell in his body language he, he wasn't he wasn't as he wasn't happy about the way he was playing, or maybe he wasn't happy about the way he was being officiated. I don't know, but he was four of sixteen in the game. He still finished up with a. With with double digit points, I almost had another double double. You got if you had told me on a on Tuesday afternoon that State was going to get double digits from Carter, Woodard, uh, Perry, and Stewart, I would have thought State won the game. You know, Abdul Du had eleven rebounds, four blocks, but State just didn't shoot the ball well enough, and that 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 really just comes down to that for me. State shot thirty seven percent. I know for a fact they missed at least five or six shots. Right there at the rim. Adu missed two in the opening five minutes of the game. Uh, Perry missed the layup. Weatherspoon, this is the second game in or was it Florida, so I guess two of the last three games, where Weatherspoon has driven the, the lane, gotten into the, the lane, no one's there, and he just blows the layup. Um, and, and Weatherspoon, I said his play would be key. He had two assists to two turnovers, so wasn't the same guy he had been, you know, got in foul trouble and, and couldn't get out of it. They just didn't shoot well enough. And, you know, I thought. 
Kentucky, sh- they shot the ball really well. Um, they made plays when they needed to. It, one thing I had to say was it had to be a little frustrating to watch the way Calipari was able to design plays to get Nick Richards some open looks, and State mm-hmm. would just try to dump the ball into Perry, and he would get double team, and nothing would come of it. And it so State's got to do a little bit better job there of finding a way maybe to, to get Perry some, some better looks beyond just giving him the ball in the low block. But at the end of the day, you know, they just they just didn't do enough to win. I thought a couple of times, and, and I understand what you're saying about about Cal designing plays, trying to get it to Nick Richards, but there were some pretty well-designed plays where yeah. there was no choice but to collapse on somebody. I know there one in particular I was thinking about where Reggie – Perry kind of collapsed on, I don't remember if it was Quickly or Hagens that was driving through the lane because there was an open lane there, so you had to do that. But the second that he did that, they threw they whoever it was for Kentucky just threw it to the rim. They let Nick Richards go get it. Yeah. Yeah, that, there was a uh, – the, 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 the not that State was going to come back or anything like that, but late in the game down six, they, uh, they fouled Montgomery, and he misses both free throws. And like you just said, Richard just goes up and gets the offensive rebound. And so state, if you get the rebound there, you're down six with I think two and a half to go. So you got plenty of time. You got the shooters. You can maybe cut it to a four or even a three point game at that point, and it's game on at that at, from there. But they didn't make the play, and that's what that game was. It was I can pick five or six plays that if Mississippi State had made, maybe things go a little bit different. They didn't make them, and when Kentucky had the opportunity, they did make them, and that was the difference in the game. I hate to go down the officiating road because, you know, whatever. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Early, they allowed these two teams to play. Like, first ten minutes of the game. There was one point, I don't know, about ten minutes into the game where I think there were three fouls on both teams. I I was not able to sit and watch the entire game. I watched most of the second half, kind of listened on and off to a big part of the first half. And I actually caught a little bit of the Kentucky announcers. And they were talking about the fact that, well, okay, the referees have – kind of decided to let these two teams play. But then you look up at the end, and it's 25 fouls on Mississippi State, 14 fouls on Kentucky. Reggie Perry fouls out. DJ Stewart fouls out. Adu has four. Weatherspoon has four. And Tyson Carter has four. As you watched the game, did you feel like it was egregious, or did you feel like the officiating was okay and didn't necessarily play a role? I I always say that, first off, you know me. You know that I don't ever expect anything from the officials. Um, I thought there were a couple of, of ticky-tack calls that went against Mississippi State, but I think that's just how life is for the road team. That The home team is going to – it doesn't matter that it's at Rupp or at the Hump or at the Pavilion or wherever you are, but the, the, the home team is always going to get a couple of ticky-tack calls to go their way. It's just life. So was it anything that made me just want to come out of my seat and go, State's getting screwed here? No, nothing like that. 17 of 21. That was Mississippi State at the free throw line. Kentucky was 31 of 36. So Kentucky makes 10 more free throws than Mississippi State attempts in the game. And, you know, that's not, that doesn't always tell the story, right? Because sometimes teams will settle for a whole bunch of outside jump shots. They won't attack the basket. And another team does the opposite, that they're constantly going downhill and getting into spots where the other team's got to foul. And sometimes there's enough of a disparity athletically that there's no choice but to expect free throws and fouls to be out of whack. I don't know. Mississippi State shoots 16 threes in the game last night. Mm-hmm. They're 5 out of 16. Yeah. Um, 
Carter another bad shooting night. On the road versus at home, he's it's just it's night and day for him sometimes. Four of thirteen from the field, two of nine. The two that he made were gorgeous. Yeah. Like they go they leave his hand and you can hear them like pop the net as that's the only thing it touches when he, they go through. And then the seven that he misses where it's like Ugh. Ugh. So I don't know what that's all about. Reggie Perry finishes with fourteen and eight, but not the efficient night that you would expect him to have. Four of sixteen. No, no. and that's a, that's a huge. You know, when you think about Reggie Perry missing, you know, twelve shots, you have to assume that majority of them are within five feet of the bucket. So you know, those those are shots you would like to see him make. Uh, if he makes a couple more of those, it's it's a totally different ball game. But he just. He was flustered early, and it, it showed the entire game. Every time they, they 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 cut to him, you could see he was just not he was not comfortable last night. Not not in in, in the right in the right place mentally. I don't think. Um, and you know, like I know that Howland says it's not a big deal, but you know he had that matchup with Nick Richards. Richards got got the better of it, no question about that last night. And I don't I don't know how that played on Reggie Perry, but we'll see if he can turn that around and turn it into a positive and take it out on Vanderbilt this weekend. It feels like Nick Richards is trending pretty clearly in the direction of being the player of the year in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, I think last night was was uh I don't know, I'm trying to think of a political analogy but I don't have one, but last night was sort of a proving ground for both of those guys. Whoever got the better of it. It reminds me of a few years back for the uh, the Howell Trophy with Stefan Moody and Gavin Ware and Moody had just a massive game against State and I was like, well, there there you go and Moody went on to win the uh the Howell Trophy. I think last night was whoever had the better game was going to be the favorite this from going forward to win that award. Twenty-seven points and eleven rebounds last night for uh, for Nick Richards and and I don't know that this is necessarily a vintage Kentucky team, but it's a good Kentucky team and it's one that appears to be getting better as the uh, the season goes along. Seventeen and five overall, seven and two in SEC play. Mississippi State falls to fourteen and eight. They're five and four in the league. I don't want us to do this roller coaster game by game thing with Mississippi State, where it goes, you go, oh, they're in, and now they're playing for seeding. Oh, now they're on the bubble. Oh, they're outside looking in. I think bottom line is it's a good basketball team that ran into a better basketball team last night. And interestingly enough, in the most recent bracketology from Joe Lenardi after their loss last night, Mississippi State moves up. Yeah. They moved to the to the uh, ten seed line as the last of the last four buys. Whereas going into last night's game, they were in that last four in group and would have had to play in Dayton. Did drop in the net though? Drop to thirty nine. Okay, but again, yeah, but in that range, they're saying, fine. Yeah, at large, if, if they win the games, they're favored to win. They're going to go to the NCAA tournament. It, I, it is literally that simple for me. Had three other games last night in the SEC. You've got three coming up tonight, including Ole Miss and South Carolina. We'll talk a little bit uh, about that matchup. It's Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We'll also um, look at the other things that are happening in the league. Take a quick timeout. Be right back with you on this Wednesday afternoon. I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride, today's Tom Sawyer. 
Tomorrow, catch the JT Show, guest hosted by Dave Hughes as he teams up with Mississippi Ag and Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation for the 54th annual Dixie National Rodeo and Sale of Champions. Join in and learn how Mississippi Ag and Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation are teaming up to help you buy green and save green. Ag up, tractor up, and rope a deal at Dixie. And then on Friday, both the Gallo Show and the JT Show, which I will guest host, will be at the Ole Miss Student Union. Discover how Ole Miss is a leader in growing the state of Mississippi locally and nationally through education and opportunity. It's presented by the University of Mississippi Insight Park. Baptist North Mississippi and TVA. So that's next couple of days in Super Talk land, and we certainly will be glad to have you along. There were three other games last night, and one of them absolutely made like it resonated with no one. And no disrespect intended, but Missouri against Texas A&M with Texas A&M winning 68-51, I mean, it just kind of sounds gross, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I didn't watch. Yeah. Tennessee beat Alabama 69-68. That was a pretty entertaining game. Tennessee was down 15 at one point in that ball game. John Fulkerson had another big game. He had 22. Eve Puns had, or Eve's Pun, I can't remember how it's pronounced, had 14. Jordan Bowden, who has... Uh, not been great this year, especially when Tennessee needed him to be, had 20. And uh, they got the uh, the big win, 19 points for Kyra Lewis Jr. He continues to play well for Alabama, but not well enough. As Tennessee gets the win on the road, they get to 5-4 and four in the conference, Alabama 4-5. and five. That's two teams, along with South Carolina, along with Arkansas, along now with Texas A&M, given what they've done, that are just locked in this great big log jam in the middle of the, the league. And, hey, Dad, it really doesn't feel like there's going to be a lot of separation there. I mean, they're going to kind of win one, win another one, then drop one or two. And it feels like you're going to have a bunch of teams that are between 8 and 10 and 10 and 8 when this thing's all said and done. Yeah, it's going to, you know, when I talk about football, about you know, the conference beats its, beats itself up. It's going to be sort of the same thing, I would think, here with, with men's basketball. And it's going to cost, you know, some teams – some tournament spots, some teams that should get in are going to lose a game to one of these teams that they shouldn't lose, and it's going to it's going to end up costing somebody. If you're a fan of one of those schools, you know, obviously I cover Mississippi State. You know, those games that remain against Alabama, against Texas A&M, against Arkansas, against South Carolina, huge games. State has to find a way to win them. Game of the night happened in Fayetteville. It was the early game, seventy nine seventy six. Auburn won in overtime. They outscored Arkansas ten to seven in the extra period. Auburn improves to twenty and two. They're seven and two in conference play. Arkansas's four and five, sixteen and six overall. The Auburn Tigers had five players in double figures. Purifoy had ten. The fabulous freshman Isaac Okoro had fourteen. Samir Dowdy had twenty-three. Javon McCormick had sixteen. And Anthony McLemore off the bench had eleven. Austin Wiley. Remember, Arkansas does not have a big man. Like the tallest player on the entire roster is 6'8". Can relate. Austin Wiley, no points, <laughs> two rebounds, four turnovers in 11 minutes. Arkansas had this game won, too. They yeah. did. They went with six and a half minutes without scoring when they had a nine, nine ten point lead. Heard that before, right? 
<laughs> Somewhere? Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, Mighty Rebels here in Oxford have had a few of those so far this year. Monster game last night for Mason Jones, who is the reigning co-SEC player of the week alongside Reggie Perry. He might be on that list again. Might be all by himself this week. We'll see what he does on Saturday. Last night, 40 points in 45 minutes. He played every minute of that game last night. 12 of 24, 5 of 12 from 3, 11 of 16 at the line. Hey, buddy, you make a couple more of those, you don't go to overtime and your team wins. Just saying. Hard to pick apart through a 40-point scoring night. And now for your perspective. Pete Maravich I mean, averaged over 40 a game. Oof. He Without a three-point line. Without he was, he was a three-point line. He was not a bad player. Point a minute, man. He He's one of those guys that... If you say pick a player from another era and put him in today, that's the guy, right? What would he be doing? Oh. Whatever he wants, just like he did yeah. then. Particularly yeah. since you can't touch guys now, like on oh. the perimeter. That's yeah, yeah. And the thing is, he scored forty a game, but he was probably as good a passer as he was a scorer. Yeah. Yeah, I went old crusty back in my day guy without even ever actually seeing him. If you watched the movie. No, I have not. What you never watched the Pistol Pete movie? No. Oh, that's a good one. You critiquing me on movies now? No, no, I'm not doing that. I, I am <laughs> the last guy to be moving I did I'll watch, I think the SEC has a SEC story documentary or something. I've seen yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. 40 points. And, and that... We see big point totals all the time. Guys go for 26, they go for 34, they go for 38... But it feels different when you see a four is the first number. Yeah. And then again, you go, hang on. He did that on average every single game sans three-point line. Nowadays, if somebody gets 40, you probably won the game. But he averaged 40, and LSU didn't win every game they played. I don't know. Did he he even play in the NCAA tournament? Ooh, now you're testing my knowledge. I'll go yes, but I don't remember. Let us find out. If, if only there was a machine for that, as I've, you famously got, like to I've say. I've got it. What years was he at? Uh, was he at LSU? Do you know? I don't remember. Mid seventies. Or, yeah. Just Google Pete Maravich. Well, I, I googled LSU. No, he ne- never went. Never went to the NCAA tournament. His his sixty nine seventy team went to the NIT Final Four. Forty four point two points per game. If a team right now had a guy averaging forty-four points, two points per game, they'd be undefeated. I have, I, I'm putting that out there. That's not true. You think? Mason Jones scored forty last night, and they lost at Arkansas. I said averaging, averaging forty-four point two points per game. Yeah. How much did they lose by? Three. If he had the other four points, they win. <laughs> Simple mathematics, my friend. There you go. It is Sports Talk Mississippi with you. What do we need to know about the Ole Miss-South Carolina matchup tonight, Mr. Rippey? Ole Miss is favored. Rebels are a two-point favorite. Yeah, a little surprising, but South Carolina's been a little Jekyll and Hyde as well. But can Devontae Shewer kind of keep up the scoring pace and can Brian Tyree keep back on track? Because you've kind of yet to see a game where they've both been uh, effective on the offensive end. 
And what does Ole Miss really have left in the tank at this point is kind of what I'm interested in, I guess, on top of all that. A.J. Lawson leads South Carolina in scoring at almost 14 per game. Brian Tyree is averaging almost 18 per game. With single digits in his last two, I believe. Yeah, so that number's come down a little bit. Uh, Jermaine Kuznard is the guy that you kind of worry about when you look at South Carolina. Second-year player, redshirt freshman that has gotten better and better and better as the uh, season has gone along. Um, South Carolina averages about three points a game more than Ole Miss. They give up about one and a half more, or uh, they they give up less per game, 66.5 to 68. Um, I'm ready for Frank Martin to tell me what's wrong with millennials afterward. I'm going to write that down. It's like three years running. You're not a Frank Martin guy? No, I like him, but he does always lecture on like young kids. Like Maybe it's just a coincidence by the time he's coming to Oxford, but I felt personally attacked. Are you? Do you have a particular question lined up to try and trigger him? No, because I don't want him to stare at me like he stares at some dudes. It melt, could melt cement with that stare. He really could. I think he's a good coach. I don't mind him. I just find that aspect kind of funny. Yeah. It's my favorite coach in the SEC. Maybe God, favorite last... coach that I've covered. Yeah, you know, at the hump, the visitor's locker room is close enough to the the media room that you can hear whatever. If, if it's loud enough, you can hear. Mm-hmm. Buddy, last year after that game, he was blistering them. <laughs> it was awful. We were just sitting there like, Wow, he's going to come in here and just, he's not going to be in the mood for anything. Could not have been more professional. Sat there, answered all of our questions. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Walked out. You'd never know that two minutes ago he was, you know, full drill sergeant Hartman in there. That seemed very uh, rich roddish at Auburn. I remember the cement walls not being thick enough after that game. I was sitting in the coach's locker room while that was happening. Yeah, it was like swear words I had never even heard paired together. Yeah, I mean, you said what now? (laughs) (laughs) It was was combinations in which you were like... It was combinations like I'd never even heard before. I was like, wait, what what was that? Like the dad on a Christmas story just working in profanity like I'm working acrylics. It was so twisted, I was like, is that a compliment or an insult? I hate to spoil it for you. It was not a compliment. Yeah, I didn't figure so, but like, it just took me a minute. Not a compliment. Um, part two of our conversation with Mike Bianco. He talks in detail about the uniqueness of the scholarship situation in the state of Mississippi. We'll do that next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday. Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi. Sat down earlier today with Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss. This is part two of our conversation. People talk about the scholarship situation. In college baseball, and specifically in the state of Mississippi, but I feel like people maybe don't know exactly what it is that you guys are dealing with. What are the challenges that are unique to being the head coach at Ole Miss and dealing with 11.7 in comparison 
to some of the other schools in the SEC that you're competing with on a day-to-day basis? I don't know how long your show is. Um, I mean, look, I'll just sit back and we can clip commercials whenever uh, we need to. Well, I think people are really fascinated by this because I'll say this so you don't have to. It feels like Vanderbilt plays by a different set of rules because they're a private institution and they've got need-based aid. I think most people kind of understand that. And then the lottery conversation is out there, but I feel like there's some other things that, that maybe other schools have advantages with that you don't deal with well all of that is true um but let me preface all of this by at the end of the day nobody's doing anything illegal it's just different situations at different places we've chose to be here you know we've chose this situation uh we understand that you know in some regards there's obstacles in some regards we have some pluses we have a wonderful facility we have great fans we we have a lot of things that 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 are pluses there there's no doubt about it uh, you know i've had opportunities to leave over over the last 20 years that I could have went to a place possibly that you know had some of the scholarship advantages that you've mentioned we love it here we never use it as a, as a you know use it as a crutch or an excuse but it is real and it's one that that, that we're aware of and so you mentioned first uh, not necessarily just Vanderbilt but private schools in in, uh, sure. uh, in general not all of them but a lot of them and a lot of the ones that are good in baseball have this thing called need basic and what is that? What that means, basically in layman's terms, if, if somebody applies to a private institution like Vanderbilt, like Rice, uh, Duke, Stanford. Duke, Stanford, if they get accepted to the university, the, the university looks at their financial background from the parents. If they make the parents make under a certain amount of money, and we're not talking about poverty here. You know, we're talking about sometimes the the cutoff is a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred twenty five thousand dollars. That that student can get a full scholarship for free to go to that school. And you say, well, why would they do that? Well, Stanford doesn't want or Rice or Vanderbilt doesn't want the brightest kid in the country to not go to their institution because they can't afford it. That guy may find the cure of cancer one day. <laughs> they want him to be sure. you know, a Stanford grad, and he may be the president one day. And and so that that's always been there. It has nothing to do with athletics. The problem that comes in is. A lot of times you, you would have to believe that the players in, on the athletic fields for those schools don't have the academic requirements as the regular kids to get into that school. Their basketball teams, average ACT, or their football team, or their baseball team, average ACT, doesn't get them into that school, their athletic ability. But that happens here, too. That happens at all the public schools, too. But we all know, usually, those private schools have you know, tougher uh, entrance requirements. But once they're in, once they're accepted because they're an athlete, then they're just like all the other student body. And or that scholarship that's available to the kid that parents don't make $100,000 is the same for you know the baseball player. And so, well, why don't you see it as much in football? Well, because they're full scholarship anyway. Sure. Why don't you see it in basketball? Because it's a full scholarship anyway. So but it really see, matters in equivalency sports. Exactly. And so uh, and that's really since the turn of the century, since the 2000s, where I think people started to take advantage of it. So it's not that they're doing anything wrong. But there's also some public schools that have that. And without throwing stones, there's other public schools where you go, wow, they're public schools. But I didn't realize that they're in the top two or three or four in the country of using need-based aid. 
So, yeah. so how is that possible in a public school? It's got to be a it's the same that's thing. Got a massive endowment and just it's a, it's 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 works the same way. Okay, you know, it works the exact same way. It's but not. It's got to be available for every student. It's got to be available for every student, and most public schools don't want to do that. You know, they don't want to say the University of Mississippi or the University of Tennessee doesn't want to say anybody's that makes less than a hundred thousand dollars. We're going to pay for. You know, they're going to have a full scholarship at our institution. So that's one part. The, another part is that lottery type scholarship that you talked about, where if you're in Georgia and you have a certain ACT score, the state of Georgia will pay. If you go to a state school, they'll pay for your tuition. And usually it's a it's a kind of a sliding scale. In Florida, it's the same thing. They have a bright future scholarship. So if you reach a certain level ACT score, the state of Florida will pay for your tuition to go to a state school. Uh, Louisiana has the TOPS program, Tuition Opportunity Program. When I was at McNeese State, if you had a 19, now it's higher now, but not much higher. If you had a 19 on your ACT, which is the average uh, test score in the state of Louisiana, then you got your tuition paid for. And so that would be nice for us, wouldn't my, it? My parents would have appreciated yeah. that as a parent now. I exactly. would appreciate that. But that money helped pass the lottery in those states, and thus the lottery, that's where that money comes from, is from the lottery. Mississippi just got the lottery, and I don't know if it'll eventually get to that. It's not where they initially allocated the money. Yeah, but when you look around the SEC and the footprint of the SEC, the only two states that don't have some type of lottery-based money would be Alabama and Mississippi. And then another one, I don't want to say lastly, but another one that certainly affects Ole Miss specifically, uh, not, 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 not that we're the only institution, is uh, out-of-state and academic scholarships. And what I mean by that is uh, when you look at the University of Mississippi, I believe, I'm correct in saying this, that over half of our enrollment is out of state. So we don't have any trouble recruiting kids from out of state, from Birmingham, Atlanta, Nashville, Dallas, Houston, and so on. We see that by all the, the, the car tags driving around Oxford. That's great. Because of all the things that are great about Ole Miss, it's a small institution, a smaller class size, a beautiful college community. It's Mayberry with a college. And if you're in Birmingham or if you're in Nashville, what a great kind of got that private school feel at a public school price. You know, so if your child wants to go somewhere out of state, what a what a great choice. So because so many people want to come here, we don't have to go sell our university or discount our university. Yes, we want smart kids, but our to get academic aid at our institution out of state is much more difficult than most places. And so what my point is, is most people are trying to encourage out of state because of that out of state fee, you know, fee that, that non-residence fee that is twice what tuition is. So at Ole Miss, tuition's eighty, you know, eighty two hundred. The non residence fee is sixteen thousand. So but there's other places that hey, if you have an ACT score of a twenty four, we'll waive your out of state. If you have a uh, ACT score of a twenty five or twenty six, if you're a bordering state and you you have this, we'll waive oh, we have those things but the score is much higher and they get less money. And so we, in an equivalency sport, when you're dealing with scholarship dollars, those things become really important and we we don't have as much access. All right, so in reality, you say dealing with scholarship dollars. It's, it's actual dollars versus percentages? That's what a percentage is, is what the, what the dollar. So if, let's say the scholarship was, let's say a full scholarship, and we're just going to make it easy math because I have an LSU degree and it's easier, you know. <laughs> so let's say 
cost thirty thousand dollars to go to Ole Miss. Okay. If I gave you ten thousand dollars, that an in-state number or an out-of-state number? Uh, that was just to get you know you know it's 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 closer yeah, to in-state. But, but you get that would be germane to this conversation. Sure. It's ten thousand for in-state. Okay. Well, let's let, 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 let's do it this way. Okay. Let's say I was giving you ten thousand. Let's say thirty thousand for in-state. Let's okay. say forty thousand for easy math for out of state. Okay. If I you're in state, you're from Oxford, Mississippi. If I gave you ten thousand dollars, that's thirty three percent of a scholarship. You can say ten thousand, or you can say thirty three percent. It's the same. But, if I but gave where you, it would be important though is do you have eleven point seven in state scholarships or eleven point seven out of state scholarships? Or great question. You're not missing the point. It's a great point. But let's say you're not an in state kid. Let's say you live in Memphis, okay. and I gave you ten thousand dollars. But it's ten thousand of forty thousand dollars, so I gave you twenty five percent of a scholarship, right? Gotcha. So uh, the percentages count against the eleven point seven the same, but the dollar figures are what it uh, of the cost of attendance, what it would cost you to go to school here, and so it's more expensive to recruit an out of state kid because you have to give them you know more money to make it basically you know equal for them to their their cost that to, to, to come here. I don't want to turn you into Ron Polk on this. He beat yeah, the drum yeah, for I feel a like really it. long time. I feel like it. Yeah. I, I say beat the drum, more like yeah. punch the keys on a, an old school typewriter. There you go. Are we trending toward? I mean, I mean, we, we were trending toward a, an extra paid assistant last year, and all of a sudden that blew up. Are we trending toward a scenario where we get to fourteen or fifteen or sixteen full scholarships for baseball? And would that make enough difference? Great question. Uh, if you would have asked me five, ten years ago, I would say no. You ask me now, I, I think we're trending, but we're still far from, from, from that point. And, and I think you can see it in the assistance. But one of the things that, that I, I, and I candidly, and this is probably not a you know, popular thing is saying, I was wondering why we were willing to go pay another assistant $50,000 out of the, you know, the athletic budget, but we weren't willing to give two more scholarships. And, you know, to me, I'm not sure if I would not pick the scholarships over the assistant. I already have the assistant. We're just paying them through our camp. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, to me, it's one of those debates. And, and I know athletic directors, uh, you got all these sports and you got a lot of different uh, sports and a lot of different needs. And, and baseball's not the only one in the cafeteria. That was part uh, two of our conversation with Mike Bianco. Some interesting stuff. Talk a little bit about this year's team with him when we play part three in the 5 o'clock hour. Be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports in Mississippi. You'll hear about it here. Here. Sports Talk Mississippi. You like this show, huh? Yeah. Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi with you. Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk Mississippi. C Spire text line is open. 601-879-4395 is the number. If you'd love to be part of the show, we would love to have you along. 
Biggest free phone event ever is here. Switch to prepaid by Ceasefire and get your choice of best-selling phones, uh, best-selling phones free, uh, like the Samsung Galaxy A10e, the Google Pixel 3a, and more while supplies last. Shop now at cspire.com slash prepaid. So good deal to be had there this afternoon. Three games happening tonight involving SEC teams. South Carolina in Oxford to take on Ole Miss, 6 o'clock SEC Network. 6 o'clock on ESPNU. Georgia is at Florida. And LSU is at Vanderbilt. That game is at 8 o'clock tonight on the uh, SEC Network. Um, feel like LSU probably rolls against Vanderbilt. Georgia-Florida is fascinating to me. Georgia played better, uh, but what, it was against Texas A&M over the weekend and won big at home. Now they've got to go on the road to uh, to Florida. Florida playing a little bit better. They're at a, a point in their season, on their schedule, where they need to win some games. Just They just need to pile up wins. Never mind net, their net's okay, all that good stuff. They just need to win some ball games. Pretty big point spread, though, in that game. Florida's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. LSU is an 11-point favorite on the road tonight against Vanderbilt. It is time for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Sorry, I shouldn't have laughed as I was saying that. Pearl River Resort pick of the day brought to you by the Sportsbook at Time Out Lounge. Check them out next time you are in the greater Philadelphia area. Swing by. The weather's good, so probably not today. Today you could go fishing on the golf course at Dancing Rabbit, either of the golf courses. But uh, before long, you'll be ready to play golf there. Check out the golf course, check out the casino, check out the great restaurants, and certainly check out the sports book at Time Out Lounge. We will lay the 11 points tonight that uh, Vanderbilt is giving, or excuse me, that LSU is giving up on the road as the Tigers try to stay undefeated in Southeastern Conference play. Um, Hey, Dad, do you have any issue with laying the the double-digit line there? Not only do I not have any issue with it, I would suggest that this become the pick of the day until such time as it's not the pick of the day. Just whoever Vanderbilt is playing that that day, we're taking the uh, their opponent, and we will give you the points. They did not cover, or excuse me, Florida did not cover against them on Saturday. This is why I'm not a millionaire gambler. <laughs> you were starting that trend today, though, not not doing it in retrospect. You you, you know what? Today is the first day of the rest of my life. If you have to pick one of those three games against the spread, Florida minus 9.5 at home against Georgia, Ole Miss minus 2 at home against South Carolina, or LSU minus 11 at Vanderbilt, which of the three are you taking, Rippy? Say that again. Florida minus 9.5, Ole Miss minus 2, LSU minus 11. I guess LSU. It's the one you feel most confident about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel confident, do, though. And I, I'm not trying to, to to diss on the other half of the show here, but I would take South Carolina and, and take the points there. Oh yeah, I mean if you're just playing the odds, you would. Yeah. And South Carolina sitting there with what five wins in league play, and Ole Miss is one and seven. Yeah. I I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. the The only hesitation that I have there, hey Dad, is you look at that line and you go, "Hang on a second, that doesn't really make sense." Because you would expect South Carolina to be a favorite. I mean, if it was minus two South Carolina, you might be like, huh, 
I mean, Ole Miss getting points at home, but I mean, you wouldn't be shocked if you saw that where yeah. South Carolina was, you know, five, six point favorite on the road. Makes you wonder if somebody knows something. Somebody out in the desert knows something. Stay away. That's Stay why away. I said. That's why I said you might hesitate a little bit. Doesn't make necessarily that much sense. Um, Ceasefire text line is open to you this afternoon. Thank you for uh, for being with us. Uh, in the five o'clock hour, we've got the college football fix coming your way. We will uh, go back and take a look at signing day once again. Recap that if you missed it earlier in the show. We'll do that when we come back. Uh, there is a running back, a starting running back that is transferring in the SEC. He is not a grad transfer. It is a sit-out transfer unless he applies and gets a uh, recruiting waiver. Um, get this day in sports history coming up for you. We will take a peek at the Zachary Evans recruiting saga and maybe think back on some of the craziest recruiting stories that you can remember and have the final part of our interview with Mike Bianco. That's all coming up in the 5 o'clock hour when we continue. Sports Talk Mississippi, middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi with you Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Will East in one last day for Michael Borky. We're glad to have you along. Began the show with this today and want to circle back to it because uh, I know a lot of you maybe just getting off work, getting into your car, headed home for the day, and uh, we need your help. Uh, in fact, we need more than just your help. We need your prayers for our good friend, for our colleague, for our partner in some cases, JT. He announced uh, on Friday, you may have heard his announcement, you may have heard us talk about it on Sports Talk or Paul talk about it in the morning, uh, announced last Friday that he had been recently uh, recently diagnosed with lymphoma. So JT uh, is in a battle with cancer. But on Monday of this week, while preparing to begin treatment for um, that lymphoma, JT experienced some unexpected complications. He is currently hospitalized in ICU in Jackson, and his family and all of us at Telesouth ask for your prayers for JT, for his family, for the medical professionals that are taking care of him as they go through an extremely difficult time. We, uh, we're concerned first and foremost about uh, JT's health. If, if you've listened to his show, you know he's been out a couple of days uh, recently. We appreciate Dave Hughes uh, filling in for, uh, for JT. I'll be in for him on Friday uh, with the remote that's here in Oxford. Uh, but his focus and his family's focus and our focus uh, here at, at TeleSouth Media and Supertalk Mississippi is on a full recovery for JT uh, and really tough time for him right now. So if, uh, if you've got the opportunity right now or this evening or what you, when you put your head on the pillow tonight, uh, just stop and, uh, and say a prayer uh, for uh, JT. Uh, his family is a family of faith. JT is a man of faith, and that is specifically what they have asked for. 
we also would mention to you, if you would like to send a note, uh, drop an encouragement card in the mail, uh, you can do so. You can go to the Super Talk Mississippi Facebook page. You can check out Super Talk Mississippi or Sports Talk Mississippi at Sports Talk M-I-S-S or at Super Talk on Twitter, and you can find the address where you can send that. I'll give it to you now, but you, you may want to you know, go back if you don't have a way to write it down. Certainly don't do so if you're driving down the road. But if you want to send an encouragement card to JT, send it to Super Talk Mississippi, care of JT. Our mailing address is 6311 Ridgewood Road, Suite 200N, as in Nancy, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, 39211. Um, know that would mean a lot to, uh, to JT and to his family, his wife, uh, his daughter, and his son. Uh, are all uh, with him uh, where they need to be and want to be right now as he uh, goes through this difficult time. Uh, Long road ahead for uh, JT. We just want you to be thinking about him and, again, praying for him. We are glad to have you along this afternoon. The ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Signing Day Recap. This is National Signing Day. I'm calling it 2.0 because it feels like 1.0 is in December. That's when 75 to 80% of the national letters of intent are signed. Hey, Dad, we kind of began the show today. You were in Starkville right before the show began at um, at Mike Leach's press conference. Can I, let's go back and recap. What did Mike Leach say, and what did Mississippi State accomplish today? Oh, they signed uh, four players, including their starting quarterback uh, for for the twenty uh, twenty season, and uh, KJ Costello. Uh, no, no drama, no surprises. Three of their four commitments or signees were already committed uh, on, on yesterday. The signees are, uh, as I mentioned, uh, KJ Costello, uh, outside linebacker from Port St. Lucie, Florida, Jamari Stewart, DB from Mississippi Delta Community College, Kyle Cass. And uh, from Starkville High School, a, a long time coming for Rufus Harvey, but he gets the offer he desperately wanted and is now a uh, Mississippi State Bulldog. Good news there. Um, you, you mentioned earlier today that uh, A.J. Brown um, is is standing up to his end of the bargain? Yeah. Yeah, A.J. Uh, so so what, was the, what was the background on that? He tweeted out something a few weeks ago, basically calling out State and Ole Miss. He said, State, don't make the same mistake you made with me. Ole Miss, I'm telling you this guy can play. Somebody needs to offer him. And he said, I will say Hail State if he goes to Mississippi State. So today he got the offer, and he tweeted out, Hail State, I'm buying a jersey. I'm very proud of you. I'll be a bulldog through you. There you go. Pretty cool stuff there. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we should tone down this rivalry stuff. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not as big a deal. It's almost like it's happening it. before our very eyes. I don't know. I still don't like you though, Cross. No, no, no it's fine. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just deal with it. Uh same thing, Rippy. You were at uh at Lane Kiffin's press conference today. What did he have to say? What stood out to you and what did Ole Miss accomplish? As far as accomplishments today, I mean, I, I guess they added two offensive linemen and running back. You only had three kids come in today, so not a very eventful day. They probably would have hoped it was a more eventful one, but I, I guess if you're looking for something to get out of the press conference, he preached the patience and that they weren't reaching on kids and that they would be better classes in years to come. But, I mean, I mean, hell, they got three dudes. I don't know how much... <laughs> I don't know. How much events you can gather from that? When you peel it back, uh, the reality is three guys. Cedric Milton, 
a uh, 6'5", 270-pound offensive lineman from Houston, Texas, Henry Parrish Jr., a 5'10", 180-pound running back from Goulds, Florida, previously committed to FAU, which is, of course, where uh, Lane Kiffin was before he took the Ole Miss job, and a uh, 6'6", 270-pound offensive lineman from Brentwood, Tennessee, Luke Schaus. Uh, so those were the three today. And uh, those three are kind of added to the three that they got in the, the interim period between the early signing period and this, which was uh, the tight end Temple transfer, Kenny Yaboa, um, Otis Reese, the defensive back transfer from Georgia, and uh, Demond Clowney, who is an early enrollee out of St. Francis Academy uh, right outside of Baltimore. So those are kind of the new faces for Ole Miss. He did talk about them having some room to be active in – the market and on multiple occasions has talked about managing a roster more like managing an NFL roster than it ever has been before. Yeah, I mean, you still have the whole Zach Evans saga and all of that going on. You have Mark Britt, the four star athlete out of, I forget where he is, but I believe he's deciding between Florida and Ole Miss. He's a currently a Florida commit on February 20th, so you still have a little bit to go, some still things that can happen, but like I would say most of the most of uh, the action has subsided. Wasn't there a wide receiver that was committed to Florida also that Ole Miss was kind of in play with? Been some talk about that in recent days, or maybe not. I don't remember. My ability to really stick with recruiting all the way through is hard. I mean, they did have the kid out of Venice, but I don't... What was his name? Oh, now I'm putting him on the spot. Hey, Dad. He's searching for, for names. Uh, let that fly uh, for a second. That, that that ended up committing to Tennessee or ended up going to Florida? Now you've got me confused on who you're referring to. The original kid you're referring to, I don't know. <laughs> I have flustered him to the point that he has taken off the headphones. Hey, Dad. You guys. Hey, you usually know more about Ole Miss than uh, than Ole Miss folks do, so do you know who I'm talking well, you, about? I, I am completely <laughs> obsessed with it, you know. Spend my day editing Wikipedia pages, stuff like that. Wait, are you are you one of those guys? No, I have never edited Have you ever page. edited a Wikipedia page? Never have, for any Honestly. Time. Honestly, I have not. Will, have you? Yeah, I, uh... Oh! I can't wait In college... <laughs> I can't remember what team it was, but I, I guess it was... Uh, that was Wikipedia when you were in college? Well, yeah. Yeah, man. I thought that was years ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How old do you think I am? Anyway, uh, somebody beat the Braves one night, and I was had a couple beers, and I decided they uh, they didn't need a Wikipedia page anymore. And it let me, I can't remember what team it was. It was probably the, the Mets or somebody like that, and I deleted their entire Wikipedia page. <laughs> Uh, of course, like I, I three bet, seconds later, it's back up and it's fine. There's a but. lot. There's a lot of Mets fans who probably wish you could de- delete a lot more than that. <laughs> you could delete their Rippy, ownership. Have you ever edited online a Wikipedia page? Not that I remember. I don't even really know how. How do you even go about that, Will? You have to like create an account and log in, yeah. and there you go. Have you ever donated to Wikipedia? Like once, a, I use Wikipedia a lot. Not necessarily for like it's okay, the best all the ever. facts, but for baseline knowledge and i always feel guilty when the little annual if you would give just three dollars it would help us stay afloat and i don't but i kind of feel guilty when i don't because that sure is a good resource i feel no guilt whatsoever
You've never I also have been known to, I have been known to take a penny, but not leave a penny at the gas station, too. So, Got a penny, take a penny, need a penny. Wait, I messed Wait. it up. Yeah. <laughs> need, a, need a penny, take a penny, got a penny, leave a penny. That's right, it. I'm not, I'm not a got a penny, leave a penny kind of guy, but I've, I've, I've needed a penny and taken a penny many times. But you never leave a penny in the tray at the gas station? I try not to have pennies. You're such a freeloader. What a bum. Typical. Oh, typical, that man said. Now you see the violence inherent in the system. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. You bring the ice chest, I get the bait. Meet me at the lake and don't be late. Got all this hanging around, dragging me down. Get behind the wheel and get the hell out of town. Too many people, too many cars. Sports Talk Mississippi. I just had via text message a flashback to third grade and fifth grade, I think. Hey, Dad, do you remember anything from school in like second, third, fourth, fifth grade? Some things, sure. Will, a few things stand out? A few things, yeah. Did Ripley, you ever you have a project? last year when you were in second grade? Do what? Rippy, do you remember last year when you were in second grade? Rippy is on his way to a basketball game. Oh, that's a good burn, dude. Dang it. You had him <laughs> feel the burn, B-E-R-N. Uh, continue. <laughs> now, we can, now we can really figure Uh Did you ever have a project when you were in grade school um, in which you waited to the last minute? Grade school, high school, college. Yes, all of those. Yeah. It's like the groundwork for my future <laughs> Marriage, was laid. Exactly. <laughs> Retirement. I'm going to have all those kind of things. There you go. I love it. Um, I'm now about to relive my childhood through my kids. <laughs> it uh, appears. Uh, solar system project is due. Okay. Did you ever have to do the solar system project? Oh, man, I, I had that moment. I remember my mom having to go to Walmart, and we had to go back to the the craft section and get the styrofoam pieces to make the planets. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I remember she was so angry at me for waiting until, like, the night before. Text message from my wife. Okay, I need a major Walmart help. I just realized Obi needs to do a solar system project before Friday. We need materials. <laughs> Dang. It says wire hanger and fishing wire and styrofoam balls and paint. Hope we're not the only ones that. Please, please hope we are the Pluto. only ones that waited. Just for old times' sake, just include Pluto. I know they say it's not a planet anymore, but put it on there. Come on. What did Pluto ever do to you? I, I think trying to be creative, we did mine a little bit differently. Like we took a box, and then cut one side of the box open, so it was like an open-faced box, and yeah. then kind of stuck the sun up in the corner, and then had the planets go. But it was like all in a I shadow box type deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's not bad. Yeah. We didn't have this in my school. I didn't have to do that. I had to do a science project. It wasn't the solar system, though. Yeah. My science projects were not great. Although one time no, I no. did... Um, no, I I did end up with a uh, a dozen golf balls courtesy of Titleist. Nice. 
Yeah, I was going to do a, an experiment with uh, golf balls and how they traveled differently in different um, temperatures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wrote a letter to Titleist. They sent me a dozen golf balls. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh-huh. Um, now the 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 scientist people that um, you know the judges. I guess <laughs> some some would call them judges. Others would go with scientist people. Um, they they were pretty quick to point out that there were there there was a flaw or three. Um, I didn't use all the same kind of golf balls, so yeah. there was not really a control there. It wasn't like so I'm dating myself here, but they weren't all Bellata nineties, or they weren't all um, wow. You talk about the old school. Well, yeah, wow, they weren't all yeah. DT solo. Will, Will what's, what's he talking about? There? I don't have any idea. <laughs> Will, can they hear me? I mean, yeah. Th- th- these days, that would be okay. Pro VX, or you know, you, you get oh, the yeah. idea. Obviously. So, so that was the first issue, and then the second issue was for one of the, like the different tests that I put them through. It's like I'm gonna go out and hit some wedges. So, went out on the football field, put balls at the goal line, and started hitting golf shots, and then measured how far they traveled in. Good weather, bad weather, and actually in the snow. It snowed and cooperated. It was like, hey, it's a great opportunity. They pointed out that, um, once again, from a control standpoint, y- your golf swing's not the same every time, Richard. That's why they have the ping man, the robot that has the exact same golf swing that they replicate over and over and over. So, anyway. But at least I got a dozen golf balls out of the deal. There you go. I remember a late, late, late Sunday night. We had a volcano project that was due. It turned out fantastic. So think about, like, if you had a, um, like, one of those big spools. Like, it's got almost cardboard circles on both sides, and you got a big, thick tube in the middle. I don't know what you, I mean, like, if you were wrapping electrical wire on it or something like that. Yeah. So so take off one of the big cardboard circles, and then we did like a paper mache volcano, then painted it black and gray and whatever, and then there was a like a cup in the top of it. Well, everybody does the vinegar eruption for a volcano, right? Right, yeah. It's like, you know, you add vinegar and what? Something. Baking soda. Ba- there you go. Baking soda and vinegar, and it makes the eruption, and it's messy and all that good stuff. So the idea was, how do we do a different type of eruption? This was back in the day when the ice house still existed. So on the way to school that morning, took a thermos, stopped by the ice house, and got a block of dry ice. Put the dry ice in the top, like in the you know the cup at the top where it's going to be like the eruption point, the mouth of the volcano. Pour a little mm-hmm. bit of water in there. You get the eeriest little smoke. It was so cool. Sorry, awesome. I may have gone into more detail. I feel like I completely lost you on that. Hey, Dad. I mean, you know, science it wasn't my first love. So. Nor mine. Those are the yeah. only three science things I can remember from my entire life. It wasn't the last category I would pick on Trivial Pursuit, but it was near the bottom. Yeah. Um, you can be a part of the conversation on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. I, I have to hear from you. What's the science project or the school experiment that you put off until the last minute when you were a kid? Surely we'll get some interesting answers on that. Uh, Jason says he's right. Put Pluto on there. Even the scientists at the local observatory are saying, again, Pluto's making a comeback, gentlemen. Brontosaurus, too. Pluto is so hot right now, even though it's ice cold. Uh, 
Jeremy and Jackson, is that Cross or Sheldon Cooper? <laughs> I wear the comic book T-shirts on this show, darn it. Mike in Oxford sends us a uh, a picture from the pavilion. It is Morgan Freeman bobblehead night. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dad, this is Doug in Oxford. Did the transfer kicker from Arizona State sign with Mississippi State? Hey, Doug, it's Brian in Starkville. Yes, he did. Good to know. State's got going to have like five kickers. They took two preferred walk-ons in this uh, class as well. They they have five kickers going through spring. So obviously the special teams issues that plagued MSU, uh, Coach Leach and, and others have seen that on film, and they're they're bringing in some competition. <laughs> uh, guys, do grad transfers reflect in recruiting rankings? Nah, no. Like today with KJ Costello, that or, or Scott Lashley for state as well. No. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, bug collection. That was a last minute. That's from Mike in Oxford. That was a last minute science project. Family tree the night before was pretty tough. Mom was not happy. <laughs> uh, Strider in Indianola says storyboard hell two Sunday nights ago. <laughs> King Biscuit says he put off every other book report. My kids have always been pretty good about getting their science projects done. We've never had a last minute issue like this so far. Really? And my, me and my wife are pretty strict about you got to do most of the work. So, yeah. My oldest daughter won uh, first in state a couple years ago. There you go. Yeah. What'd she get for that? A ribbon? A medal. Got a medal. Yeah. Not a cash prize, though. <laughs> Unfortunately. Which no. is probably she, just as well. Because she didn't you, get a grant you, to continue her research on uh, how plants grow in certain environments. Yeah. Yeah. So, there shame. was one kid. There was one kid that I went to school with in high school. He went, like, all the way to the National Science Fair. Oh, wow. But his was, like, how peanuts can help in the discovery of finding a cure for cancer. Legumes. <laughs> Wait, what? That was his, like, what What grade was that, he Yes, that was the that science stuff? project that he was working on in, like, 10th grade. Wow. What's that kid and doing it, and, now? Uh, I don't know. He's probably got a I PhD swear, If somewhere. you tell me he's not, like, a doctor somewhere, I'm going to be disappointed. You know, I don't know the answer to that. But here, here's the, the thing that was even more. His father was a professor, mm-hmm. and this was like a, a multi-year science project. Like, he didn't start over every year. It was, okay, this is eighth-grade version of me, and then in ninth grade I take it to this level, and then tenth grade, it, it was like, come on, man. Like, there was a chance at one point it felt like he was actually going to discover a cure for cancer before we graduated high school. Smart guy. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Cody in Guntown says, I was supposed to study about how to dissect the frog in eighth grade and didn't, so the day of, I just butchered the poor thing and failed the test. (laughs) (laughs) We dissected a fetal pig. We didn't ever do a frog. Life science. We were supposed to create the inside of a cell. I waited until the night before, so I just went to Kroger, bought three tubes of chocolate chip cookie dough, baked a cookie cake, and created the cell parts with colored icing. Can't remember the grade I was given, but at least I provided the class with a snack. Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. I know that. Well done. Well done. Sports Talk Mississippi. Part three of our conversation with Mike Bianco is coming up next.
Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. You know I love sports. On Super Talk Mississippi. Part three of our interview with Ole Miss head baseball coach Mike Bianco. The Rebels begin their season in nine days, February 14th. It's a home game, and this was the part of the conversation where we talked some about this year's team. Let's talk about this team. You, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, Craig Kessinger's gone, Thomas Dillard's gone, a bunch of other guys yeah. are gone. So they're new faces. You do have some returning faces. I mean, you got an anchor at third base and Tyler Keenan. First two starters on the weekend are, are guys that pitched a year ago. How do you like the makeup of this team? I think that uh, de- depends on how you define makeup. If you just define it by you know what you return and, and what you have, you know we love it. You know we think it's a great mix. Probably a better mix than probably people are recognizing right now because I think the narrative out there is because it's the number two ranked recruiting class I think it's the easy question for the media. Hey, let's talk about the new guys. Let's talk about the new recruits. Let's talk about the football guys. Those are all the things, those are all the buzzes that everybody wants to talk about and I get uh, and I understand when we you know look at the makeup of this, if, if it's returners and talent and guys coming in uh, we look at 14 only 14 of 34 players there's 14 guys that are super talented, you know, that played here and have had a lot of success. And so even though the numbers, you know, it's not like you return 25 guys off of last year's team or seven of the starting uh, nine. When you look at this year's team and you look at Tyler Keene, a guy that's hit 25 home runs in the first two years, you look at Anthony Servideo, who is going to be one of the best shortstops, not only in the SEC, but in the country. When you look at uh, Kevin Graham, who was a freshman All-American that played maybe half to two-thirds of the season last year, hit uh, 10 home runs. Then you look at this team, Doug Nikhazy and Gunnar Hoagland and Austin Miller and Taylor Broadway and guys that have pitched and pitched on the weekend and pitched in, you know, in the fire. Man, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good foundation right there. And so, uh, when we look at the mix, you know, the makeup of the team, we really like it. February 14th, so a week and a half from now, assuming it's not 45 and raining. Right. When you roll out against the number one team in the country, they're going to be seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people there. I hope more, but yes. Okay. 12, 15,000, whatever go. the number is. And you'll see that repeatedly throughout the year. Do you ever get to a place where you take for granted the environment that you've helped build? Never. Uh, help, help build here? No. It's, and when it's, you look around and you're like, there are people everywhere. No, and it, it's such a special place. And, uh, you know, we're on the cusp, you know, now, uh, as he said, about 10 days out of breaking another season ticket record. Last year, we averaged just under 9,000 people a game. It was like eight. 8,990 people, like 10 people short of 9,000. We've been second in the country, I think, for the last four years or so in attendance and in the top five for like 15 years, something just unconscious. And and so, no, uh, we, we talk about it a lot. Yes, we use it in recruiting. I don't know if we've, uh, you know, how many recruits we've ever, you know, lost, you know, if they've came and watched <laughs> us at Swayze Field and seen the atmosphere. Uh, but it, it's it's electric and makes you so proud, you know, when you've been here for 19 years and you look around and, uh, and not just for a big series, not just for regional, but like you said, you know, uh, opening series, you know, uh, you know, we 
if, barring bad weather, we're going to have over 30,000 people walk through the gates, you know, in, uh, on one weekend. That's that's pretty cool. If you could change one thing about the college game to make it a better game. I think the college game's awesome. You know, I think we're at a good spot. You know, they've toned down the bats and then changed the ball. I think we're at a good spot with uh, with the way the game's played. People want to continue to, to speed it up, but they do that for Major League Baseball, and, and it, that's really TV time-wise. They did, it's just a commercial thing. It's a time slot trying to fit it into three hours, and when it leaks over three hours, it, it's tough for TV people, and I get that. And there's just so much more games on television now that it's a bigger concern than it was you know, five, ten years ago. I'd say the answer, and it sounds like we're complaining, is... Could we just all have the same scholarships? Could we be like football? Whatever that number is, could we have, you know, 20, 23 full scholarships? And so when you sat down with a recruit and you offered him a scholarship, you weren't offering him 10,000 or 33%. You just offered him a scholarship, just like they'll do in football today, in the signing period, where they offer him a scholarship. See, people don't get that sure. part of the recruiting. See, when Coach Kiffin offers a guy a scholarship, it's the same scholarship that LSU offered him, the same one that Mississippi State offered him, the same one that Vanderbilt offered him. It's the same everywhere else. It's a full grant and aid. When we offer them, you know, it's not apples to apples, it's apple to oranges. Some people gave them money, 10000 some people offered them a percentage. You know, some people just offered them tuition, and it's for these families to try to figure all of that out. And it would be probably, I think, a little better for the sport if we were just a head counter sport. And, you know, and I think that's where it's starting to run to, where this equivalency model, this percentage model, um, I think even, you know, our, our commissioner, uh, Commissioner Sankey, you know, said that, you know, it's kind of obsolete now, you know, that this is a rule that came in the 1970s of equivalency and it was really to save money, you know, why, why that model just doesn't work anymore. If when I got up and walked out of your office, Jeff Bezos walked in, I think he's the richest man in the world. I haven't checked today. And he's either said, him or Bill Gates. Yeah, well, e- either one of those guys, Warren yeah. Buffett, somebody with an, an infinite amount of money, and he put a blank check in and said, I've already signed it. You can fill it out to fulfill one need for your program. Wow. You've got great facilities. What's the one thing that you want or need that you don't have? I would say, now that we're on the cusp of breaking a season, we're going to have to soon enlarge the stadium. Last year, we sold every seat in the stadium. I don't know if there's a baseball stadium in the country that has sold every seat. Uh, we're on, again, the verge of doing that again in, in year two. We did that five years in a row, you know, over a decade ago, and then 2009, we, you know, expanded the stadium, the seating capacity to about 6,500. And I think we're, we're gonna have to do something here, seating wise. If that's something in the outfield, if that's, you know, enlarging, we're gonna have to do something, I think, to the stadium. I don't know exactly what that is yet, though. Last thing for you, I really appreciate your time. It, it feels like technology and analytics is, is changing the game. When Whether you're watching doubt. Major League Baseball or college baseball, I, I don't know that it's necessarily snuck into the high school game. At the most basic level, you see guys shifting all over the place. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. Sure. Going back to your days with Skip Bertman, mm-hmm. you, you could maybe be described as an old-school baseball coach, but you've evolved as it's gone along. How are you using technology and analytics to help your program now? Well, first, yeah, you mentioned Coach Bertman, and one of the great things about the system, you know, the way, you know, the foundation of the program. There's there's things that we do that we've done for in the in the in the system 
since 1960. You know, there's the bunt defenses that we do, and we just went over yesterday, are the same bunt defenses that we used in the 80s at LSU when I played, and in the 90s when they were winning championships. But things evolve. Technology changes things. You know, Skip was the first to talk about the mental game. Now everybody talks about the mental game, right, sports psychology. He was the first in the SEC to really get into strength and conditioning. Now everybody has a strength coach. And so one of the great things I think about the way that I learned is, you better not fall behind. You better make sure that, you know, uh, and not just a gimmick. And that's where I think that I put a, a, a wall up where I just, I don't want to get something because it's you know, the color of the month. You know, I don't want to just buy something to say we have it. And so we have to have the need for it and the use for it. But there's no doubt that, you know, technology has changed. We hired a director of ops that was kind of not our traditional director of ops where he came from professional baseball, never worked in a college. Uh, Chris Gudoris never worked in a, in, a, in a college program to help get us closer over that hump of technology. I think we are. I think I'm really proud of where how much we've grown t- in two years. But the difference in, in technology for us, because analytics is, is, is a very broad term in baseball. It's from the shifts to statistics, like from batting average to OP. Yes, and whip and different statistics that you Bad. hear. Yeah, different statistics that you hear now on 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 Sports Center and baseball tonight that you you never would have heard, you know, ten fifteen years ago. It's launch angle and exit velocity and stuff that's cool and kind of sexy to hear and see a ball off a bat and a and a laser beam line and. But, but the know, key becomes what you do with those numbers, right? No doubt. I think the biggest difference that I could explain to you or to fans is from college to pro, pro. So the majority of that information, I think, from the front office is used to evaluate and should we draft this player, should we trade for this player, should we sign this free agent. They're looking at that information, a lot of that information, or in scouting to scout a pitcher and you know why he's so successful and so on, or a hitter. A lot of our data is used to how to improve a player. We don't have that data for a 15-year-old kid in high school to decide do we want to recruit him or not but once he gets there we can use all all the things that we have at our disposal to look at his spin rate of his fastball the tilt axis of his of his fastball or his breaking ball and these types of things and decide for a guy like Will Etheridge last year who was always a reliever we're going to do away with your four seam fastball because it doesn't play well enough and we're going to throw all two seam fastballs and we're going to change your breaking ball and try to change its axis and work all fall to do that and so to get a guy that was a pretty good reliever to make him your Friday night ace that's how we're trying to use technology you know in the development stage uh, rather than you know, the recruitment stage because we just don't have that information. Nobody has that information. Have you seen enough data in the college game that you're ready to start shifting guys to, to buy uh, into that? No, but the problem with that, they look at a guy that, let's say, has been in the big leagues for five years, and they move all the infielders on one side of the field. Sample size. Yeah, that's 25 at-bats in big leagues, and then another 2,500 at-bats in minor. That's 5,000 at-bats. For, you know, sophomore from Louisville, I mean, we have, you know, 72 at-bats. It's a little different, and uh, and so that's why we're probably a little slower than that. And I think back to the gimmick, I think some people are just a little riskier where, hey, we think he's going to hit it over there, so we're going to put it over there. You know, And I don't know if that's necessarily true. You're right. You know, you got to have the sample size to sometimes change what Abner Doubleday set him out there 200 years ago.
Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports. On your radio and in the game. Super Talk Mississippi. Last time with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, on this Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Will East. Borky will return tomorrow. Rippy cut out for basketball just a little while ago. We are glad to have you along. This will serve as your college football fix. It's going to be our wrap-up for today. The college football fix every day is brought to you by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers who remind you that this is truck month, great deals, and great trucks, whether it's the F-Series, the Super Duty, or the Ranger, stop by and test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Hey, Dad, story time. Okay. Favorite favorite recruiting shenanigans story from through the years? It will be really hard to top Chris Jones. Uh, one of the most in- intense uh, Egg Bowl recruiting stories Ooh. ever. Of- Ooh. You know, had been locked in with State for so long. I mean, committed to State when absolutely nobody knew who he was. Nobody. Fast forward, what, four or five months? He's the number two recruit in the country behind Robert Kimdiche. This is the 2013 class, you know, that was both beneficial and detrimental to Ole Miss in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know, you think Jones is sort of the bell cow of your class at Mississippi State, and then you find out he took a visit to Oxford. That, that nobody knew was coming. I remember waking up. And uh, nobody on, wanted to believe actually happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of people saying, no, nah, it didn't happen, didn't happen. It happened. Um, and then, you know, I remember waking up that Saturday morning and, like, going through Twitter and, like, oh, no, what, what, he went where? No, no. And the next weekend, he actually did, he double-dipped. He was in Starkville in the early afternoon and in Oxford that evening. And uh, I was famously on my podcast back then convinced that he's going to Ole Miss. There's just too much momentum. He's going to Ole Miss. And uh, he ended up going to Mississippi State, but that was one that, that if if you had to pick one to summarize the Egg Bowl rivalry in a recruiting battle, that's it. That's the one. Robert Elliott hey, would be another good one. Hey, Dad, I believe it to be true with Chris Jones that mm-hmm. that decision went into the morning of signing day before it actually happened. You you, you the could final be correct. decision was made. You could be correct. Uh, Robert Elliott would be a good one. I don't know, you know, and Ole Miss people not, may not like to hear this, but I don't know that Jeff Simmons would be a good example because I, I am everything I've ever heard about Jeff Simmons was he was always going to come to either Mississippi State or Alabama. That Ole Miss really hmm. wasn't as big a, and that's just from my, from my end. Now you never know what you hear on your end. CJ Johnson was ugly, didn't it? CJ Johnson, CJ Johnson is the one that always like sticks with me because, for lack of a better word, he was assaulted at the Egg Bowl by an Ole Miss fan. And yet he still signed with Ole Miss, you know, two months later. So that's that's a good one. I'm trying to think of one, you know, outside of the realm of State and Ole Miss. And you know, well, none of there, just... there was an Ole Miss tie to one, the Floyd Raven deal. He ended up yeah, going to Texas A&M. We talked, and... talked about that at lunch today because of this thing that's going on today with Jordan Birch, the five-star defensive end out of South Carolina, who had who he had a press conference in December. I'm going to South Carolina. Never signed a letter of intent. Continued right. to visit, 
had another press conference today with Will Muschamp sitting right there. I'm going to South Carolina, and as of, as of this moment, South Carolina has not announced him as a signee. So they don't have his letter of intent yet. So it's still going on right now. He's had two press conferences saying, I'm going to South Carolina, and they don't have his letter yet. How about this graphic from Texags? Texas A&M signed the number one receiver, wide receiver in Texas, number one DB in Texas, number one QB in Texas, number one defensive end in Florida, number one linebacker in Louisiana, number one defensive tackle in Mississippi, number one linebacker in Missouri, number one defensive end in New Jersey, number one defensive tackle out of New Jersey, number one wide receiver in North Carolina, number one DB out of Illinois, and number one offensive lineman in Arkansas. They might bump up to 8-4 and four next year. I'm sure it's just because of the pristine beauty that is Bryan College Station, or College Station Bryan. Lovely town. I had a good time there. Everything there is brown. Well, some of us are boring people. McKinley Jackson, you sort of you, you hit over it there, but the state's top recruit, he's headed to Texas A&M. Yeah. yeah, I mean, LSU wanted him, Alabama wanted him, Ole Miss, Mississippi State badly wanted him, Texas A&M got him. Yeah. And, what is that now? I'm trying to think. The last few years, it was. I know it's three two in, years a row, in a row, isn't it? It's three of the last four years, I believe. Acres, Dean, and now Jackson. The one in there that's not. I think was Malik Heath was number one in 2018, I believe. Sure I would be nice for those times. I mean, I don't begrudge. I, I, I'd no. never begrudge a recruit. But at the same time, play. At the same time, championship. It would be great if, yeah, State and Ole Miss could somehow split them up and those were the teams playing for championships. As long if as there State was got one more, school right? in the state of Mississippi and national it, were the, it was the University of Mississippi State. Or, I like the name. Or whatever. Um, probably would have a few more of those guys stay in state. Yeah. But that is not what we have here, and so we carry on. A lot of stuff today. Thanks for uh, being with us. As we've mentioned a couple of times, we uh, are asking you to continue to keep JT and his family uh, in your prayers. They have uh, dealt or are dealing with some unexpected complications uh, leading into JT's treatment for lymphoma. He is currently uh, hospitalized in ICU in Jackson. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.